Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Really glad that you're here. My name is Drake. I'm the pastor here. It's an honor to have you gathering with us today as we continue our series through the book of Nehemiah. And if you signed up for one of these scripture journals a couple of weeks back and you haven't got yours yet, it's in the lobby. If you didn't sign up for one of these but you're interested, you can grab these on Amazon or anywhere online that books are sold. Probably not anywhere, but quite a few places. And so we're uh, walking through uh, the book of Nehemiah. This is our summer series. Really excited about it. And listen, no matter where you're walking in on your spiritual journey, I just want you to know you are loved, safe, and welcome here at City Church. And again, I want to say thank you for just honoring the space. Summer gets busy. People are traveling like crazy. And it's officially here. It's nice and sweaty outside. And uh, it's almost good camping weather in the mountains. We went camping like two weeks ago, and we were like throwing snowballs at each other in shorts and a t-shirt. So that was a weird, weird kind of a little adventure. But we're almost past that to a really good camping season. So as you play over the summer, we just want to say thank you for valuing the space of community as we gather in large and small groups. Starting this week, our city groups are kicking off, guys. I am so pumped. We've had a month off. City groups are life-giving, a place where you're challenged, where you build friendships. We call them 3 a.m. friends. You know, like when just everything's falling apart and you need help from someone. Who can you call at 3 a.m.? Not the Ghostbusters. You can call somebody in your city group. That's who you call. Um, and uh, sure enough, many people have taken us up on that offer, unfortunately. So um, just don't join my city group. That's all I'm saying. Um, we have five groups across Boulder County, all over the place, times and locations, great places for you. Uh, today, our very own Billy Ho-Rider was supposed to be speaking this morning, so you can give him a woo. Woo! Go, Billy! Unfortunately, he texted me this morning at 7.05, and was like, I have COVID, and I was like, awesome, that's, that's terrible. So, in two weeks, Billy is going to be speaking, so you don't want to miss that. He was speaking on chapter two today. So already two weeks into Nehemiah, and we're just going to mess up the order of chapters, okay? So we're going to be in chapter three today, because that's what I was supposed to be speaking on next week. And surprise, I'm doing it today. So uh, it's going to be awesome. Really excited. Uh, next week, our very own Isaac McCarty is speaking on chapter four. Come on, put your hands together for Isaac. If you don't know Isaac, you can still be excited. He's amazing, like 10 feet tall incredible instrumentalist and vocalist and uh, a big part of our team, but also going to be sharing an incredible message. So we got a lot of really good speakers over the summer just inside of our family here. They're going to be sharing and using their gifts. Excited for you in that. But today we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 3. So if you want to go there, this might be the most exciting chapter in Nehemiah. If you're looking for it, you can use like table of contents. If you don't have a Bible with you, it'll be on the screen in a minute. But also there's Bibles in the seatbacks in front of you. Those are gifts to you. Feel free to take them. If you don't have one of these scripture journals, then you can uh, grab the little journals in front of you too. All that is a gift for you. Uh, if you're online, scramble somewhere and find a piece of paper and a pen and make use of what you've got. But Nehemiah chapter 3 might be the most exciting chapter in all of Nehemiah. You guys ready? Let me just read, let me just read a couple of, uh, of verses for you here. Nehemiah chapter 3 starting in verse 1. Then, then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brothers the priests and they built the sheep gate. Everyone wants to build a sheep gate. 
They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. I'm sure that's how it's pronounced. And then next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachar, the son of Emery, built. And on and on and on and on it goes. This dude built this part. This dude built that part. These people built this part. And over and over again, the entire chapter 3 of Nehemiah is different people working on the wall. And so what I want to do today is just read all of these really hard-to-read names and then go home. That's, that's the goal today. Uh, so you're welcome. If nothing else, you're going to learn some vocabulary words, and uh, you get to test each other this week. I'm just kidding. Here's the deal. Before I get into chapter 3 today, uh, I want to do some set up on the book of Nehemiah. Um, if you want to go back, there's uh, some resources on our homepage. You can go back and listen to chapter 1 last week and the intro on our podcast on our YouTube channel. We did a lot of setup for this book, but as we get into it, I just want to kind of go back to some of the things we talked about last week. Last week, uh, I gave you this quote about vision. So like, I talked about vision for your life, and specifically, Andy Stanley said, um, everyone ends up somewhere in life a few people end up somewhere on purpose. So we talked about that last week, just this space of kind of the nine to five, looking up at the end of your life, and you're like, what do I have to show for it? Uh, living life with purpose and passion, and I think a lot of us long for that, but then a lot of people look up at the end of their lives and don't have as much to show for it as they would like. And so we gave this, this definition of vision, um, this definition of, of a calling, if you will, but we said it starts with a burden. So the big question I asked you last week was, what, what burdens your heart? What is the thing that kind of sits heavy on you? And we watched how a burden goes from just something maybe that, that you're grieved about to then it, it, it moving you to action. So here's the definition of vision that we used last week just to kind of catch us up. Vision is a clear mental picture of what could be. So it starts with a burden. It moves into what could be, kind of gets your mind and imagination dreaming of how I could pour my life out to make a difference. But then it, it, it ends up fueled by the conviction that it should be. It has to be. And so for those of you who are new here at City Church, City Church turned three in March. My wife and I moved here with a team of incredible people to plant City Church a couple of years ago. And in the process, it started with a burden. Then it turned into kind of a dream of what could be. And then it turned into what we called last week a moral imperative of this should be. And we talked about kind of the sacred secular divide last week of like sometimes our brains get stuck in this like there's like uniquely Christian things in our lives like oh we got to over spiritualize certain areas and then also I'm just kind of an engineer or I work in IT or I'm a stay-at-home mom or I'm a barista or you know you, you fill in the blank over here but we kind of have compartments that we use our lives in and, and we have a tendency especially in the west to sep separate the separate separate the the spiritual and the rest of life but last week we talked about how for Jesus, everything was spiritual. And so God wants to connect the vision for our lives to his overall story and his bigger mission that he's working in and through us. And that's what we see in the story of Nehemiah. Now, to just encourage you, if you're taking notes, as you kind of open up in chapter three, that's where you can do that, or in your phone, or however you're taking notes. Uh, Jesus simplified this conversation for us of like, how does my, my story and the vision that God might have for my life, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, I believe you're uniquely made in the image of God, and I think he has a plan and a purpose for your life. But as you kind of wrestle with these big questions, you're like, okay, how does my story tie into God's bigger story and, and his mission in the world around us? And Jesus simplified this by helping us understand that the, the, the boiled down points would be to spend our lives loving God and people. That, that, that people are the mission. And, and so for you and I, Jesus would, would, would take those two things. To love God and love people means that we begin to love what God loves, which is people, but specifically 
the, the mission that God is on to bring people back into his family. That's why Jesus showed up. And so the mission here at City Church, I want to give it to you. We, we say this a lot, but I don't want you to miss it. Our mission here is to help people find their way to God from where they are. That's not unique to City Church. That's unique to Jesus. And this is how we choose to articulate it. Jesus said to make disciples of all nations or to help other people apprentice and follow under him, to surrender our lives to Jesus and follow in his way, that we spend our lives helping other people find and follow Jesus as well. So here at City Church, our mission, the, the reason that we exist is to help people find their way to God from where they are. And I tell, I tell our staff team this all the time, and I just want to remind you of this today as well, that people are the mission. People are the mission. I, I, it's, it's not about strategies. It's not about a weekend gathering and how good the music can be and how awesome the lights are. It's not about how much we can accomplish in a set of strategies out in, in, in a, a city group or whatever we have going on. People are the mission. At the end of the day, everything we do is about people because that's what's on God's heart. The good news is you guys are people. Put your hands together. Come on. That means that you are the mission. And here's what's amazing is that once you begin to find, uh, once you follow Jesus and you join his family, and specifically you get joined to the local family of God, a local church, then you join in God's mission, that other people are the mission as well. And, and it's this beautiful invitation to be a part of what God is doing everywhere that we live, work, and play. Now, let me give you some vision for what City Church is all about as we kind of get into the text today. So our mission, again, is to help people find their way to God from where they are. That, that, that's the mission. That's why we exist. But how that fleshes itself out is in a couple different ways. God has given us a vision to be a church in and for the city. So it's not just like how many people can we cram here on a weekend or you know, how excellent are, is a weekend service or how many city groups do we have across the city. But, but again, how do we help people find their way to God from where they are? That we measure more success by our sending capacity, if you will, than our seating capacity, that we want to be a church in and for the city. We want to be a church here for good. We, we launched a building campaign trying to purchase this property last September, and the whole vision around it was not because we need a building, but because we could leverage this property and this building even more so as owners for our city. Jesus said that it's by your good works that people would glorify God. You're a city on a hill, a light that can't be hidden. It's by the way that we love others that communicates the love of God. So we have a vision to be a church for people who don't go to church. We have a vision for people uh, where, where people can be loved, safe, and welcome no matter where they find themselves on their spiritual journey. We have a vision to be a church where people who don't have family become family. We have a vision for, where, where people can show up discouraged and they find themselves in, encouraged. We, we, we want to see people who might be fatherless find fathers, who might be motherless find mothers. We want to see the apathetic find challenge and purpose in community. We want to see the overlooked find value. Anybody else excited about that? I mean, right, this, this is the vision of what God is doing in and through this body. And I, we, we want to see not only a church gathered, we value gathering in large and small groups. It's, it's massive. It's so important to the life rhythms of a Jesus follower. We also want to celebrate the church scattered, that every individual who calls this place home, every individual who says that City Church is their family, you carry the passion and, the, and responsibility to live on mission with God where you live, work, and play, that there are no super Christians. There are just a bunch of followers of Jesus together on mission with God. And, and you got to ask the question, like, why? Where, where does all of this come from? Because we know who we are. And when you know who you are, you know what to do. The reason we know who we are is because we know who God is. And the, the reason we know who God is is because he's revealed himself in Jesus. And so we have the incredible privilege of following after Jesus into an entirely new way 
of being human, an entirely new way of, of living out community, an entirely new way of loving. And we're not waiting for people to come to us. We're all about, like, by all means, right? Weekend gatherings are a great, great way for people to get connected. We're always grateful. First time guests, when you're showing up, it's a great space all the time. But we're the church. We exist for the world. If, if, if we're going to help people find their way to God from where they are, we're not going to wait for them to come to us, but we are on mission with God going to them. You guys with me? That's it, okay? So I've said this before. There is no city church without you, and that's true today just as, mu as much as it was today, the day that we started or the day that we used to meet in the lobby out there, and there was like four of us, okay? Super awkward days. Just be grateful we're not there anymore, okay? Um, and uh, we, we made it. We made it through somehow, only by God's grace. But there is no city church without you. I say this often. I'm not the smartest person in the room. I'm just the dude that got here first, okay? Um, but, but genuinely, I believe that God gave us a vision to plant city church. And here's the amazing thing we're going to see in the book of Nehemiah, is God's vision always involves more than just you for your life. And so if you're not a part of this family yet, I just want you to know you're invited. You're invited to be a part of this family. And every time someone makes a decision to join city church and be a part of this family, number one, I want you to hear me, you're an answer to prayer. We pray all the time for people to join this family who are con contributors and not consumers. In addition, I don't want you to miss that you're part of God's plan. So not only are people the mission, but today what I want to share with you is that people are also the method. People are the method. And we see that in Nehemiah chapter 3. It really is a boring chapter. I'm not going to lie. And so you go through, and, and, and guess what? There's another one coming. I think it's around chapter 7. There's another boring chapter. Um, it's going to be amazing. Don't worry. And and. As you go through, I mean, it's just person after person, all these different people that God brings alongside Nehemiah and his vision, the burden that he has. Again, all connected to God's story. You can go back and catch all these pieces last week and the week before on our podcast and YouTube channel. But again, people are the method by which God accomplishes his mission. And so today, I want to show you a story of Jesus demonstrating this principle that people are the method. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 6 if you want to go there. Surprise! Mark chapter 6, Nehemiah chapter 3, they're parallel. So if you, if you have your Nehemiah journal, use chapter 3 to take notes on Mark chapter 6. You guys with me? Okay, it'll be on the screen for you. Um, it's going to be amazing. Here we go, here we go. Mark chapter 6, this is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, one of his awesome miracles. Um, you might have been familiar with it. There's a parallel story for this. If you want to take notes on, in Matthew 14, so you can kind of read these in parallel. There's a few details back and forth that are super helpful. But let me show you, just starting in verse 30, how Jesus demonstrates the principle that not only are people the mission, but people are the method by which he accomplishes the mission. So the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. So Jesus had sent them out to go love and serve and do all kinds of amazing things. They get back, they're all pumped up because Jesus was doing amazing things in and through them. And then Jesus says, hey, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. So, so in tune with Jesus, right? Like we say often here that you can't give what you don't have. And so the rhythms of like being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus and doing what he did, it all goes back to that space of like daily time with God, time in community so that our cups stay full as we pour ourselves out into others. And so the first thing intuitively from Jesus is just, hey, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. And he said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't he even have time to eat. That's a problem, right? Like a big problem. Everybody knows what it looks like to get hangry. 
And, and I don't know what Jesus, you know, walking in the spirit looks like hangry, but I know the rest of the dudes weren't there yet, so you can guarantee, right, that there was just, you know, the, the space of they're not at their best. Jesus is intuitive. Hey, let's go away and rest for a while. Now, now the context here, what you don't see here that Matthew 14 gives us is that right before this, Jesus has just uh, received news that his cousin John was just beheaded because of the threat that he had to one of the Roman leaders. And so Jesus actually in this moment is, is suffering great loss. Um, and it's pretty amazing to me that in the space he's still gonna show up for his closest friends, his disciples, those he's investing in, that he's actually gonna prioritize their care even though, I don't know about you, but in the middle of great loss, I need some space, I need some time to process, I, I, I need to kind of decompress and get away. And so Jesus is actually carrying that weight of finding out that his, his cousin was just murdered wrongfully in the middle of all of this excitement going on for the disciples. So they left by boat, verse 32, for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. And Mark goes on and he tells us, Jesus saw the, the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he was like, come on, like, seriously, you guys, like, did you not see me leave to get away from you, and now we're on the other side here, and you chased us down, and now you're here, right, I don't know about you, disciples are all exhausted, everyone's hangry, and, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but empty stomach, kind of rocky waves, we're not doing good, like, if, if I didn't already throw up everything I've got, I'm extra empty on the stomach, it's just not a good space, dealing with the loss of a family member, I mean, it's a heavy, heavy moment, Jesus gets off the boat, all these people are there, thousands of people, and Jesus does not respond like me. Look what he does. He had compassion on them. Dang it. <laughs> Jesus, like always the good example, right? Like he had compassion on them. And this word in the Greek, it, it means to feel deeply in, in like your bowels, to feel deeply for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. So listen, this is really important for the rest of the conversation. This is a foundational to the rest of what we're going to talk about today. Point number one is this. You and I can trust Jesus. It, if we miss this, it messes everything else up that we're going to talk about. But I, I don't want you to miss Jesus' heart in this space. He's got heart for his disciples, his closest followers. And then he's got a heart for the crowds, even though there's lots of other things that, quite frankly, I, I think he'd have a good excuse to like maybe not have as much to give in this moment. But we see, man, his heart for them and for you and for me. You and I can trust Jesus over and over again. This is the disposition of Jesus. This amazing God, King, Savior, and Servant. And this is his heart for you. So you and I, I just, just again, we can trust Jesus. And the reason that matters is, is trusting is more than just believing, like kind of good vibes and hopefully it all works out. Like trusting is, you know, yesterday me and the kids are at the pool and Grayson's standing on the edge, he's six years old and, and he just lost another tooth up here so now he's got that goofy, you know, six-year-old smile going on. It's so cute. And, uh, and he's, he's got these ginormous like boat flippers on and he's standing on the edge and he's just now getting to the place where he's comfortable to like go underwater, do cannonballs, things like that and, and it not bother him. And so he's standing on the edge of the pool, I'm in the pool and I'm like, come on, dude, biggest cannonball you got. And you can see it in his eyes, he's like... 
you going to catch me? Right? And his favorite thing to do is just jump on top of me so that he doesn't go underwater, which I'm not a fan of. So, so I'm like, hey, I'm going to stand over here. You jump over there, and I'm going to get you after you do the cannonball. And, and then there's this whole kind of swap of fear of, of the, the action, but then faith in his dad. Am I going to deliver on the promise that I'm not going to let him drown? Am I going to deliver that after he goes underwater, I'm going to get him? Even though he can swim on his own. But he's got these boat flippers and, you know, they might be anti-swimming. I don't know how, how well he's coordinating. But sure enough, he kind of looks at me, pauses for, evaluates his trust level, and then cannonballs like a boss into the water. Big splash. It's awesome. Splashes his brother. Give him a high five. And all of that culminates in trust leading us to action. You guys see that? He could say that he trusts me all day long, but it didn't prove trust until he actually jumped. That's, that's really important as we get into this, okay? Now, verse 35, check this out. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him. So Jesus has been teaching these, you know, crowd of 5,000 men, women, and children. So upwards of 15,000 people in this gathering. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. You can imagine how this goes before they go to Jesus. It's probably like a little mini disciple huddle. Like, hey, you guys hungry? <laughs> like, dude's been teaching for a long time. <laughs> Anybody else getting a little, you know, did we ever even eat breakfast? Like trying to remember Jesus started serving people when we got out of the boat. And then, and then they started thinking, like, ah, he's not going to go for it if we're hungry. But, like, then I think Peter's, like, over there, like, hey, you know what? The people kind of look hungry. Yeah, the people. Yeah, Jesus cares about the people. So, so they go to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, uh, you know, everyone else looks kind of hungry. You see what they're, they're doing there, right? And, and, and you can just imagine how all of this goes. And here's what's amazing is I think they kind of have this plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Send everybody out. Get a snack. Come back. It'll be great. And I bet they're pretty proud of, like, their plan. Now, I just want you to imagine. I don't know if you know the end of the story. We'll get there in a second. But I want you to imagine if Jesus would have just given them what they, what they asked for. Imagine if kind of their master plan worked out. They send everybody away, and then they come back, and it's all well. I bet they would have, like, felt pretty accomplished. Like, oh, Jesus took our plan. Feel pretty good. Patting themselves on the back. Everybody got a snack. They would have felt pretty good, but they would have totally missed out on an incredibly miraculous moment of God doing more than they could ask or imagine. So it's actually pretty amazing that Jesus sets them up in a moment rather than their plan culminating. And here's, again, when it comes to vision, we talked about it last week, like, I mean, we, we want to step into what God has for us and not just our own plans, because honestly, our own plans are kind of pathetic at times, but like, man, what would it look like to kind of move from just my own comfort zone to maybe what God wants to do with my life. Now, watch what happens in verse 37. But Jesus responds to them, all right, you feed them. Abort plan. Like, oh no, like this was not part of the plan. Jesus responds to them, okay, you give them something to eat and they are now freaking out. Look at their response. I love this. Verse 30, 37. He, they, they say, with what? Jesus, are you kidding me? We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all of these people. 15,000 people. We haven't even had breakfast yet. You want us to feed all these people? With what? And, and I imagine they're just floored in this moment. I cannot believe that Jesus would ask us to do something so absurd. And I want you to think about it. If you're a follower of Jesus in the room, this happens for you and I a lot. Jesus shows up and he, he asks us to give. 
He asks us to serve. He asks us to encourage. He asks us to forgive someone. He asks us to invest in the kingdom of God. He asks us to make community a priority and join a city group. He asks us to prioritize Sunday gatherings and make, make what, what he's doing as a church in and for the city a priority in our own lives. He asks us to give financially. He asks us to give with our gifts and our time and our talents, all of these things. And over and over again, Jesus shows up and asks, and we say, with what? Do you know how expensive it is to live in Boulder, Jesus? <laughs> Do you know how busy I am, Jesus? He asks us to give some time daily to spend time with him alone. And like, Jesus, with what? I got stranger things to catch up on. Jesus, with what? And I think over and over again, right, this, this faith dynamic that you and I struggle with is trusting Jesus. And then he asks us something. We're like, Jesus, with what? You want me to serve in city kids? With what? I don't have it. I'm barely making it. I, I just, I'm barely surviving. I'm squeaking into church on Sunday if I make it at all. There's not enough cold brew to go around. I definitely don't have energy for children. Jesus with what? Serving on a team, making coffee, greeting outside, serving my coworkers, having people over in my home. Are you kidding me? Jesus. And I think there's a big part of us that says, man, with what? And here's what's amazing, guys, is in this moment, Jesus is inviting them into the miraculous, but they can only see their lack of resources. Rather than capacity, they see the lack of resources. Rather than what could be, rather than the opportunity in front of them, they have a scarcity mentality. And they don't quite get it, right? And Jesus is great at this. He has so much patience, so much love, that even in the middle of our doubting and our confusion, he's still going to use us and meet us in that space. So watch what happens in verse 38. Jesus says, how much bread do you have? I think that's one of the big pieces is that Jesus asks us to serve others or to give our time and our energy and our resources, and we say, with what? But Jesus doesn't look at them and say, well, yeah, I expected you to bring cartloads of bread and and fish here. I mean, why didn't you prepare for 15,000 people? He says, well, well, what what do you have? And he says, go and find out. And they came back and reported, we got five loaves of bread and two fish. We got a long John Silver snack box, Jesus. We stole it from a little kid. That's all we've got. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down into groups on the green grass, and they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. So I I don't want you to miss this. He doesn't ask them for what they do not have. This is one of the mistakes that you and I make. With what, Jesus? He doesn't ask them for what they don't have. He says, what do you have? And I love this. Go and find out. One of the challenges, if you're a Jesus follower in the room, one of the reasons that it's hard for you and I to show up and think that God could use us to make a difference in the lives of someone else is we don't have a very good assessment of what God has already put inside of us. One of the reasons you need to be connected to a city group, one of the reasons you need to go through growth track, one of the reasons you need to join a weekend team and be a part of what God is doing is because you begin to figure out what God has put inside of you and do the self-discovery of finding out. And again, he doesn't ask them for what they don't have. He simply says, what do you have? In Matthew 14, I love this parallel passage. Jesus says, go find out and bring it to me. Point number two, all that you have is all God needs. All that you have is all that God needs. Sometimes you and I think that Jesus is inviting us beyond our capacity, and in some ways he is, but he's fully aware of our limitations in the process, and he plans to meet us in that space, serving our neighbors, showing up in marriage and giving even, even when it's not reciprocated, 
raising children, <laughs> making ends meet financially, contributing to the mission of God in the local church and the kingdom of God in Boulder and the West and the world. Over and over again, there's all these invitations. Loving my coworkers well. All that you have is all that God needs. Verse 41, let me show you this. So Jesus takes the five loaves. He takes the two fish. He looks up toward heaven. He blesses them. He breaks the loaves into pieces. And then he kept giving the bread to the disciples so that they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share, and they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish, a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. Now, this is one of Jesus' miracles that maybe you've heard before, but I don't want you to miss what happens at this last part. Jesus looks up, and he first blesses that which, was, which has been given. And, and I just want you to understand, like when Jesus teaches us to pray, he first teaches us about God's ownership in our lives, that we're managers, not owners. Everything that we have, time, energy, resources, all of it, we're managers of this life, not owners. We're a part of God's story, and we're invited into that. John Mark Comer, we quoted last week, he said that God is, is, is as involved in your story as you invite and allow him to be. His authorship is, is as present in your story as you invite and allow him to be. And so Jesus looks up and, and blessing it, he says, God, this is yours. But then what's amazing is he gives it back. And, and I imagine, right, this whole process, they get it, Jesus kind of breaks it up, puts it into baskets, and then they got all these people sitting in groups, right? And so then the disciples kind of take these little baskets, and they've got like just a few crumbs or whatever in these baskets, and I imagine Thomas goes to the first group, and he bends down, and he says, take a really small piece, okay? <laughs> and then, I don't know how this is ever going to make it to 15,000 people. But it says that they all ate and were satisfied, meaning there was more than enough. In fact, at the end, there are 12 baskets of leftovers, just, just God showing off in this moment. So here's what I want you to see. They give what they have to Jesus. Jesus blesses what they have. He then gives it to the disciples. And then as they're giving it away, God multiplies it. You see it? Don't, don't miss the pattern. This is really important. Again, I told you on the, on the front end. People are the mission, but people are also, also the method. So Jesus could have what? I mean, he could have made baskets levitate, right? He could have just been like, you know, and it could have gone everybody like, I don't know, like, just like that. I'm sure it would have sounded just like that too. And, you know, so he, he could have done this a lot of different ways, but what does he choose to do? He takes what they have, he blesses it, he gives it back, and then through the disciples, they distribute it to each as has need. So here's the big point I don't want you to miss today. What you and I keep is all we have. But what we give, God multiplies. What you and I keep is all that we have. But what we give, God multiplies. This is an invitation from Jesus to intersect his super with our natural. Again, when, when did God multiply all that they had? God was literally giving them more as they gave it away. And so if, if you and I wait to serve others and to love neighbor and to volunteer and be a part of God's mission and God's story until we're ready, until we have enough, if we always kind of hold back until we have enough, we're never going to think we have enough. But God literally multiplies their efforts as they are giving it away. 
I talked about this last week, that burnout is not as much an issue of giving too much, but giving out of the wrong place. Part of it is lining up our stories with God's bigger story. That there are some things that you and I are invited into as Jesus followers that apply to all of our stories, whether I'm an engineer, an IT tech, or a barista, or a stay-at-home mom or dad. Whatever my story is, it connects to God's larger story. But what, what we keep is all we have. What we give, God multiplies. And this is the kingdom principle of multiplication. So when Jesus looks at his followers in Matthew 6, and he says, seek with your lives first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be taken care of. All your stresses, all your anxieties, all your pursuits, everything that you're worried about, everything that you think will make you significant and happy. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be taken care of. And you got to ask the question, what does that mean? What is the kingdom of God? A kingdom is made up of people. So people and God's righteousness, or again, we use the definition of, of the kingdom of God being when Jesus gets his way, or when Jesus teaches us to pray the kingdom of heaven on earth. As we leave, live out the kingdom principles where we live, work, and play in our homes, and our works, and our jobs, and at the climbing gym. I don't want you to miss this. This is not an invitation to be perfect and have it all figured out. Your pastors, your leaders here at City Church are doing their very best to model this for you. Organizationally, independently, all of those, all those things are true, but it's not anyone else's job to do it for you. What God has put inside of you, what you have today, whether you think it's a lot or a little, all that you have is all that God needs to make a difference in your friends and neighbors' lives and your family and your children in this church in Boulder, the West, and the world. Our mission is to help people find their way to God from where they are, but that mission is not separate from you. I was reminded this week that, that all of this hinges not on my capacity, not even how much I feel like I'm qualified for this. All of this hinges very strictly on my obedience to hear and obey what Jesus is saying and to trust him, to stand on the edge of the pool and to jump. And so I just want you to reflect what this might mean for you. What do you have? What has God put inside of you and around you? What resources, time, energy, and resources do you have? And how are you leveraging them for God and his kingdom? Some of you, this is your moment to trust in Jesus himself. What's amazing is before you and I are ever invited to give anything, we're first invited to respond to what God has already given to stand on the edge of the pool and to trust that Jesus is who he said he is and he can do in our lives what he said he would do, to take the faith step and to jump. And so as Daniel begins to play, I just want to encourage you to wrestle with your own story. So we're going to take just a few minutes of silence. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes with me. We try to create this space for you just to reflect because it can be a lot of information, a lot of things buzzing around in your head. Maybe you're starting to get hangry. <laughs> I want you to just pause for just a second with me and ask those big questions. Jesus, what, what do I have? What passions have you given me? What gifts have you given me? What opportunities have you put in front of me? Maybe it's not a mistake where I work. Maybe it's not a mistake where I live. The family I'm in, the gifts that you've given me, the resources that I have. What have you given me? What do I have? second question might be in your heart and mind where am I struggling to trust you 
What do I have fear and anxiety around? Maybe in the posture of the moment, you just kind of flip your your palms up in your own lap as a, as a posture of surrender to kind of outwardly reflect the inward disposition of your heart and mind right now. We've used this language before to put your yes on the table. To give Jesus our yes before we know what it is that he's asking us to. Father, we invite the Holy Spirit, the very presence and power of God in our midst to work in our hearts and minds this morning. We ask for clarity around the things that you want us to do, that we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers, that our trust would culminate in action, that your tangible love would swell up inside us in such a way that we can't help but move to action. Would you give my friends in the room bravery and courage to trust in you, whatever it is that you're calling them to do this morning? God, for some of my friends in the room, you're, you're inviting them to trust you with their lives. They've never made a decision to trust you, Jesus, that you're the son of God, that you lived a perfect life like we can't, that you were crucified for our sins and buried and you rose again, proving that you were who you said you were and you can do in our lives what you said you would do, that you came on a rescue mission to love us and save us and set us free from sin and adopt us into the family of God. And some of my friends have never trusted you with their lives. They never said yes to you, Jesus, asked you to save them and stepped in that direction of becoming a part of your family. And I pray right now for anyone in the room wrestling with their own story, that this would be the moment that they, that they remember, that you're not inviting them to give what they don't have, but you're first demonstrating your love because you gave first. You gave your very life in exchange for ours because you loved us. And the invitation is to trust in you. So for my friends in the room who don't yet know you, would they pray in their hearts and minds right now, today, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again so I can have a relationship with you. And I want to follow you today. And would they have security in their hearts and minds as they pray and respond in faith to you that heaven celebrates and rejoices and so do we in that decision. For those of us that are followers of Jesus Man, we, we can be all over the place. Would you help us to align our stories with yours? Because some of us are struggling to trust you with our finances. Some of us are struggling to trust you with a, with a habit or an addiction. Some of us are resistant to community and accountability, or maybe we've been hurt before, and so we're scared of opening back up. Some of us are, are, are intimidated and nervous about living on mission where we live, work, and play, of inviting friends and family and neighbors and coworkers to city church or, or even into our home. Some of us, we know we're being called to share our faith and to share our stories. 
to take responsibility for the neighborhoods we live, live in and the, and the cubicles we work in, the teams that we share, the family that we have. Now, some of us are calling to things even, even more different, even more scary, maybe. Some of us, you're, you're calling to other areas, maybe to plant a church, to start a business. to go overseas, to share the good news with others. But Jesus, honestly, it's just as scary to go across the street. God, you're calling us to love our kids and have a vision for our homes. You're calling us to love our spouses even when they don't deserve it. You're calling us to love our enemies even when they don't deserve it. You're, you're calling us to forgive when it's really, really hard. So Jesus, whatever it is, we just want to put our yes on the table this morning. We don't want to live lives that are small and insecure. What we keep is all we have, but what we give to you, we multiply. And God, we want to live lives for your kingdom and lives of multiplication. So Jesus, we give you the rest of this morning as we sing, as we pray, as we respond. Would you move our hearts to action? And would you allow it to be coupled with accountability? Would we invite people through our city groups or other people in our lives that we trust to know what it is that you're doing in our hearts so that this cannot be something that just gets buried in the busyness of a Monday, but it becomes a priority that leads to change? It's in Jesus' name.